Hey, welcome to episode 50 of the Hockey Free For All podcast. And my name is Steven Stiles and I'm your host. And if you like variety and conversation that hits sports from a number of different angles, then episode 50 might just be the episode you've been waiting for. This will probably be one of our longer podcasts that we have had to date. I'm going to hit on a bunch of topics today that will just open up the floodgates and take things in many different directions. So I guess the theme for this one should be hold on because episode 50 is going to be like no previous episode has been like so we're going to begin on the milder side of the conversations ryan huska has been named the head coach of the calgary flames the move is surprising to me not because i know anything about ryan huska i don't but i think it it was so strange that it took such a long time to name an in-house candidate. I mean, you would have think if that would have been their choice, they would have named him immediately after Daryl Sutter had been let go or fired, depending on how you want to look at that. And the new GM, Craig Conroy, would have just named him. Perhaps maybe there was a process. Maybe he had other people that he's known for a long time, not necessarily that have coached before that he was looking at. But it just seems strange that they waited that long to name Ryan Huska. Now, that being said, I wish Craig Conroy and Ryan Huska actually nothing but the best of luck in their roles. I hope they can turn that season around. I hope Ryan Huska can rejuvenate the career of Jonathan Hubido and several other players because Calgary seemed like a really on the edge, close to being a legitimate cup contender and just fell apart for whatever reason. I think last year for Calgary is definitely one of those definitions or something that falls under the definition of the players just tuning a coach out. Apparently there were like 25 to 30 people that had just had enough of Daryl Sutter and needed to move on. Or if they couldn't move on from him within the organization, they themselves were going to move on from the organization. Sliding over to the Nashville Predators, apparently the new general manager, Brian Trotz, wants to completely remake the team in his own image. So they, of course, as we talked about in the last episode, has let coach John Hines go and John Hines as well as former Washington Capitals head coach Peter Laviolette both seem to be of the Rangers primary interest to fill their head coach vacancy and of course moments ago Peter Laviolette was chosen as that new head coach and I gotta be honest with you I would love to see him bring on John Hines as an associate coach on that coaching staff, just so they would have a really great one-two punch. I think that's what that team needs right now. They, like the Calgary Flames, I think were the disappointing teams of the 2022-2023 season, as they too seem to be very well positioned to do a lot of damage, if not make it to the Eastern Conference Final, and just got wiped off the ice from Carolina, who seems to have the Rangers number and has done that a couple of times the Rangers just seemed like one of those teams in the playoffs that they were in the playoffs but didn't quite really realize they were in the playoffs there just wasn't a lot of concerted effort it just seems like some nights they kind of came to play other nights they didn't it was just really weird to see that talented of a team that starting from the days of Jeff Gordon now through Chris Drury have been put together 
very consistently, very fundamentally with a lot of talent and should be a far greater threat than they've been to this point. So Peter LaViolette, and if they're lucky enough to get John Haynes as well on their coaching staff, but I think LaViolette is going to be the one that can push the buttons. I think he's going to be a player's coach, but also understands, hey, you have a job to do. I have a job to do. Let's do our jobs well together. Taking coaching news in a different direction for a moment, it seems like a very big day and time of life change for Patrick Waugh, who has now officially stepped down as GM and coach of the Quebec Remparts of the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. But apparently there wasn't even a sound of crickets regarding an opportunity with any NHL club anywhere. Again, I don't know what happened in Colorado when he left, but apparently it wasn't good. And it has gone far beyond the walls of that organization and must have had a lot of good old boy conversations throughout the league because there is no one showing interest in him at all, anywhere, for anything. So I think he's going to get um, what some people would consider a dream life and a chance to play a lot of golf, relax with his friends, and that's about it. Honestly, I think the only way he ever gets back into the NHL, you could have the Canadians sit there and go, well, we'll make you part of the ambassador team. That could be one. Or in some future expansion or some future team that relocates to Quebec City, he could be in a president's role, general manager role, both could be the coach. I honestly think that is the only way he's coming back to the NHL. And it would purely be at that point because he's a local icon. He's, you know, obviously won the Stanley Cup several times as a player, obviously won the Jack Adams Award as a coach in the NHL, and has now won the Memorial Cup in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. So he's got the resume. The man's accomplished. There's no question about that. But wow, something really happened that I don't even want to wonder about what it was because he, for all intents and purposes, although this is not a term that's used that often anymore, I would say, honestly, he has been blackballed from the NHL. There is just almost on a Colin Kaepernick level of the NFL. I think Patrick Waugh is finding himself in that same position. There is just nobody that wants anything to do with him. Now, on some good news regarding franchises, after a very long, extensive, exhausting, grueling and thorough process, it finally looks like the Ottawa Senators have their new owner in Toronto businessman Michael Ann Lauer has come out on top through all the different groups. And what a bizarre scenario that was in just about every way possible from not only how long it took, because it literally started in last November, but it almost became like an entertainment spectacle with the high-profile names of Ryan Reynolds, Snoop Dogg, LA businessman Nico Sparks, and within that group you had Canadian gold medalist Donovan Bailey. It's like, really? Is this like becoming like an entertainment spectacle? Aren't we looking for an owner? And in the end, Michael Anlauer apparently was the favorite, as it turns out, all along. So apparently this is like one of those processes that's like, well, we gotta go through it, but we already really know who we want. Either that or Anlauer said after the process, look, we either get this done now or I too am gonna join the amount of groups that have walked away. Take your pick. One of the two. Without a doubt, Michael Anlauer is the definition of professionalism, exudes class, 
ethics, integrity, and undoubtedly will be an amazing owner in every way, shape, or form. And undoubtedly, to help his purchase of the Ottawa Senators, it's always nice to know he's got that 10% of the Montreal Canadiens that he now has to sell, so that ought to be a very nice addition and help quite a bit as far as putting down the down payment and probably a heck of a lot more and be a nice infusion in the process as well. It's great to see that the Ottawa Senators will have not only a tremendous owner with class, integrity, and ethics, but will finally be able to stabilize that franchise. And I think a lot of other issues, personality conflicts that existed with the previous owner, um, just general philosophies of the previous owner, I don't think always sat well. However, moving forward though, one has to wonder, Michael Anlauer does like to be a very hands-on owner, and that might have some people a bit concerned. And also, this now brings the, the major topic of what is the future of general manager Pierre Dorian. I mean, he's done a good job. Ottawa has drafted very well. Dorian has been aggressive, bringing in players like Jeff Chikrin. Is that enough to make him mesh with Michael Anlauer? That's going to be interesting. Or does Michael Anlauer bring in his own people? At a minimum, you have to believe that Steve Steos is going to be inserted as the new team's president at a minimal. To the degree of what else happens, I would have to say at this point, I don't think anything should be expected prior to the draft and free agency possibly. Definitely the draft. Maybe it's made after the draft, but I think the process right now is way, way too close to make any changes there. And again, like I said, Pierre Dorian has an excellent draft record. Uh, The man obviously knows talent, has brought in some tremendous players to Ottawa consistently. I mean, you got Stutzel, you got Brady Kachuk. I mean, it's just pretty good lineup, pretty good prospects. Uh, Jeff Sanderson is another one. I mean, so Ottawa's done a really, really nice job drafting. So I don't know if you really make a change there or if maybe you give Pierre Dorian peace of mind and say, hey, we're not going to rip apart the organization. We like the job that you've done. We even like how you've negotiated contracts. On that particular topic, Alex Dabrinkit, obviously they've decided to file arbitration with, I still think DeBrinket ends up with the Red Wings. Don't be surprised if the Ottawa Senators slide into that top 10 at number 9 where Detroit's picking because they just traded Alex DeBrinket. Even if that's all they get for him, that'll be a hell of a trade for Ottawa. And continue to load that team with talent. There's not a reason in the world right now that that team should not be becoming and stay very, very competitive for a while. They got a hell of a talent pool and have put together a really good roster. Now, I mentioned up front that episode 50 would be the episode that if you want to get into sports from many different angles, this is the topic that I was talking about. Let's turn our attention to the playoffs. And in particular, the Florida Panthers number one injury that has clearly made a difference. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out the injury that I'm specifically speaking of, which is that to Matthew Kachuk. Yes, that crushing hit by Vegas defenseman Keegan Kolsler, yes, it was deemed legal, if you will. It was deemed professional. He didn't blindside him. 
Didn't crush him into the boards. Yes, Matthew Kachuk's head was down, which was a critical error on his part. And something that players should never do because things like that happen. That being said, make no mistake about it. That was a retaliatory, calculated, harder than necessary hit to Kachuk based on the hit Kachuk gave Jack Eichel in game two that took him out for 10 minutes. Make no mistake about that. And lacked serious ethics, integrity, and professionalism on the Vegas defenseman's part. Okay? That is just an unnecessary display of force for no reason. It doesn't require anyone with an IQ higher than plant life to have taken note the obvious effects of Matthew Kachuk's game after that hit. Labored breathing. Let's be honest. Yep, Vegas won the cup. And they're like, yeah, see, we won the cup. There's a difference between being championships and respected and being considered to have integrity, professionalism, and sportsmanship. Had Florida had its health and their health hadn't been taken away from them, I think Florida would have clearly wiped Vegas off the ice. Vegas did not have the playoffs that the Florida Panthers had with its level of competition. Vegas didn't have to come back from a 3-1 to deficit in the opening round. So with this Stanley Cup victory, first of all, congratulations. You made your owner's projection. Six years to win the Cup. Well done. Fastest franchise to win a Stanley Cup in its history. Well done. That being said, I hope the Vegas players, if they don't play with their heads on a swivel, someone recommends that to them immediately at the beginning of next year. Because although Vegas won't have to worry about anything in this series, this series is pretty much over, and especially now that Vegas has won the Cup. However, moving forward, the games are undoubtedly going to have a very, very different tone. When you crack someone's sternum and break four ribs, do you think that might follow that definition when somebody has said to you, so what's the term overkill? Exactly what is that? You, you killed too many? Some of the wrong people were in there as well? This definitely falls into that definition. I get it. You stick up for your teammates. But that went outside the lines. That went clearly outside the lines. And the league right now has an opportunity to make a statement. Because supposedly, everybody cares about player safety. Everybody cares about their fellow brother, if you will, in the players' union. Everybody cares about the quality of product on the ice and the vision that everybody sees from a quality perspective of the National Hockey League. If that's the case then the league should follow up with a fine of a full year's salary, which gets literally donated to the charity of the league's choice to help somebody. And Kolsar doesn't come back to play until Kachuk comes back to play. And with a caveat that if Kachuk comes back, but not at the same talent level that he was, then guess what? Kolsar doesn't get to play again in the NHL. And that might seem harsh. Too bad. Because this puts everything that the majority of society stands for supposedly, and pro sports squarely on the table in a worldwide display. Let's find out once and for all what society and pro sports and all this talk, is it just talk or is it BS? Let's really find out. And before that's taken offense with, riddle this back to me for a second. If Matthew Kachuk was your brother, friend of the family, just a personal friend of yours specific, or how about this? The fact that he's just another human being himself, and that alone should be enough with the society that claims to supposedly 
easily care so much with all the social issues that one now finds front and center on the table in society now. Society and pro sports is on trial. Let's find out if there's actually any remote amount of truth, ethics, or integrity, or if it's all for show. Let's find out. I can't wait to hear people try to defend that Vegas hit. I cannot wait for people to defend that and sit there and come up with their excuses, such as athletes getting caught up in the moment, it's extremely emotional, or, you know, it's competition. Those are all pathetic. Okay, you're a professional, at least supposedly are, act like one. And just in case there's a view out there that this won't be that big of a deal, it's already being reported that many of the injuries, and not just Kachuks, but the fact that people were playing with broken bones, dislocated shoulders in both arms and things like that, will carry well into next season. I mean, potentially to the point of when the season opens back up in October, right through the end of Cal. Calendar 2023 players will remain out with these injuries. These weren't just, you know, little scratches and bumps that'll heal over the summer. These are surgical required injuries to repair in a lot of cases. So before anybody goes, oh, I think this is just a little bit of overdrama and overacting. Oh, no, no, not at all. But this has everything to do with ethics, integrity, and professionalism. Quite honestly, the only word for it is disgrace. And the unfortunate part about it is it should be a tremendous celebration to a recent expansion team who put together very aggressively a competitive roster and met its goals. Unfortunately, all of that has been tarnished with this. And it's going to be really interesting to see beyond my hockey podcast how much this actually gets attention wise in others we're gonna find out what the human factor is what people have for respect all those other things that we've talked about are going to be on the line for a lot of people who supposedly care who supposedly jump on the bandwagon we'll find out if those actions are just timing and convenience or truly something deeply within someone that describes them to a deep level so with that out of the way let's move the conversation to all the insane trade rumors of players that Montreal must obtain. Here's one that actually fits and actually could actually make sense within the lineup, how the Canadians are trying to put together a competitive team, the age bracket of the players, all of those things. This one could actually work. There was a recent article that the Columbus Blue Jackets, with all the trades that they've made for defensive players, now seem a bit overloaded on the right-hand side. So what will they do with prospect Adam Bolquist? Would he look good in the Montreal uniform? Some people are saying that he would. It's an interesting question and an interesting option for the defense. Now, like I said earlier, as far as age, he is 22 years old, so he's right in line with the core group of players such as Doc Caulfield, Caden Gooley, Nick Suzuki, and others. Bovis' contract is not absurd. He is an offensive first defenseman, so he relies heavily on his skating and offensive game to keep him out of defensive trouble. And if there is a coach in the league that could 
have him thrive, it would be Martin St. Louis. Concerns with the players? Maybe durability? He is slight of stature. That could raise a red flag. Could be one of those players that's one hit away from not being the same player, potentially. However, if you can't catch it, can't hit it. So if he truly is that gifted on his skates, maybe that's the prevention of him suffering the type of injuries that have just plagued and run rampant in Montreal in the last couple of seasons. I have little doubt that these kinds of particular discussions will probably also follow Canadian prospect Lane Hudson into the league as well because everybody will want to be fixated on his smaller stature. The difference with him is he has a very low center of gravity, is very hard to knock off the puck. You would literally have to bounce him across the ice before you would actually steal the puck off Hudson's stick. Back to Adam Boquist. Now people are of this belief that this might be the 2023 drafts version of a Kirby Doc trade, which apparently there are people rabid and obsessed with that now believe Montreal has to make a deal like every draft. I have no idea where that insanity is coming from. But at least the acquisition of Bolquist makes some sense compared to just the ridiculous, will-not-go-away endless dribble of Pierre-Luc Dubois, Alexei Lafreniere, Carter Hart, which I'm really trying to still wrap my head around those rumors i just do not get that at all he's a four million dollar player right now who's overpaid for what he's accomplished to this point he hasn't shown really anything of significance in the past three years i think what sam montembeau showed in the 2022-2023 regular season and then the canada cup or world cup that he went on to play this summer already shows far more potential than anything carter hart offers so i don't know what the deal is with that concept but regarding adding adam boquist to the team that should not require and i know some people are going to be ready to do this as we jump into potential draft discussions i know some people are going to sit there and go oh well you know we'll give you the florida pick for that no we won't montreal has plenty of prospects that are going to be prospects they're not going to have room for they're not going to be able to sign that could very easily interest the columbus blue jackets and it could be for one or two of them it depends on which ones we're talking about such as jacob lolson ty smilanik caden primo maybe a swap in swedish defenseman you add adam Bo quest for Matthias Norlander. There's another option. Maybe a one-for-one deal there. Boquist hasn't evolved the way that some people have wanted. I believe that situation for him is exactly the same as it was for Kirby Doc. He's not in the right system. He's not being given the time. He's not being put in a position to win. Kirby Doc came to Montreal. Look what happened to Kirby Doc. I believe Adam Boquist could have that same connection and success. So maybe a Matthias Norlander trade straight up for Adam Boquist. Maybe he's the option. Or maybe you have Jacob Olofsson and Ty Slomanic as a combination. That would work too. Those are the players that I would trade for Adam Boquist. We don't need to trade any draft picks. We don't need to trade any high-profile prospects such as Philip Massar, Owen Beck, Lane Hudson, Adam Ingstrom, Cedric Gwadine, Jared Davidson. And funny people would say, high prospect? Why are you naming Jared Davidson? Because I think Jared Davidson had a hell of a year. Had a hell of a two years in Seattle in the Western Hockey League the last couple of years and had a significant regular season and playoffs this year. I think he's going to be a legitimate starting four center for the Montreal Canadiens. He may not come out of Seattle right now and go right to the Montreal roster, but I think a year or two in the AHL and you see him as Montreal's 
fourth center. And the only reason he only goes to the fourth center is you already have Suzuki, Doc, and Owen Beck taking up the top three. But also on that list of players that that doesn't include is Logan Mylou, Riley Kidney, William Trudeau, Joshua Roy, Xavier Simino, Danielle Sobolev, Yan Mysak, Sean Farrell, Jakob Dabish, Jaden Struble. None of those players are included. Now maybe you want to trade David Sabard back to Columbus for him? Okay. Joel Edmondson, Joel Armia, one of those guys that we're trying to get rid of off the NHL roster? That's fine, but Columbus is trading a defenseman because they're already overloaded, so it wouldn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. But there is no need to give away the farm, which apparently a lot of people want to do. They want to mortgage away the prospects that Montreal has obtained over recent drafts. They want to mortgage the franchise and make just ungodly amounts of players, like send four or five assets for one other player, and you're kind of like, you know, honestly, other than Connor Bedard, I don't know any other player that I would do that for in this draft. Other than Connor McDavid in Edmonton, Leon Dreisaitl in Edmonton, I wouldn't even do it for Mitch Marner, and I love Mitch Marner in Toronto, or Cal McCaroff in Colorado, and I love Cal McCaroff. But Cal McCaroff is starting to get wear and tear. Again, I'm not saying his days and his best days are behind him, but he's been hit hard and doesn't really have the durability that I would sit there and mortgage away my future over. So really, other than Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, not much in the league I'd give away five prospects for. There really isn't. And there's a lot of talented players, but I'm still not going to mortgage my future because guess what? When you get these players that everybody wants to send so many assets to obtain, who do they play with? It's not golf. It's not you against the course. You're part of a 20-person roster, hence team sport. And I don't get these people. It's like, oh, I'd do anything to get Pierre-Luc Dubois. Well, if Pierre comes here and has nobody to line up with, how well do you really think he's going to do? And then, of course, everybody's just going to crucify whoever that player is in the media when everybody wants to give away everybody that he would be a teammate with. This is a great segue to our next conversation that focuses on the 2023 draft. It will undoubtedly be a very fun draft to watch unfold. There'll be a boring part of it, and I say boring because, let's be honest, there is not a single thing that somebody can offer the Chicago Blackhawks to not draft Connor Bedard. So, outside of the single biggest surprise possible, Connor Bedard's going to Chicago. Adam Fantilli is going to Anaheim. Theoretically, especially with Yaro Kikalenin as the general manager in Columbus, Columbus loves European players. One would have to think the big Swede center, Leo Carson, at 6'3", 215 pounds, is going to Columbus. Maybe not. Maybe they take Mitchkoff. Maybe they surprise everybody like they did with Jesse Pugliarvi when he was available at four, and they went for Pierre-Luc Dubois. So they could easily do that again and go for Matev Mishkov from Russia. I mean, Kika Lennon has done that before. So that wouldn't be anything particularly of surprising development if Columbus actually does that again. That being said, it brings us to where does Mishkov go? Does he go to Columbus? Does he go to San Jose? Either one of those two teams are very viable options for Mishkov. If San Jose does take Mishkov, then obviously Will Smith is the choice for the Montreal Canadiens. However, if San Jose takes Will Smith, undoubtedly, I'm a 
big believer that Mitchkoff has a lot of talent. A lot of people say his talent level even rivals Connor Bedard. I don't know. There's just something too unsettling about using the fifth overall pick to take Mitchkoff. Now, if you had the 11th to 13th pick or something and he fell to you, similar to the way people let Cole Caulfield fall to Montreal in 2019 to the 15th selection, okay. At that point, you have a lot of that rolling the dice in Sanity believe how could you take this player? Go away because you're now at 15. But at five, honestly, if San Jose takes Will Smith at four, I take Ryan Leonard at five for a couple of reasons. First of all, he is that tenacious, high end energy, relentless player that Montreal wants, has a hockey IQ off the charts, is a good solid goal scorer, can make space on the ice, plays right wing, and although Cole Caulfield's natural position is the right side, for whatever reason, it seems like he's been moved to the left side of Nick Suzuki. So for a moment, just think of that perfect line that would now have Ryan Leonard on the right, Nick Suzuki at center, and Cole Caulfield on the left. And Ryan Leonard would be the perfect addition as to not only does he match the offensive talents of the other players on the line, but he's also that scrappy, in-your-face, get-things-done player that would be a really, really nice mix with Suzuki and Cole Caulfield. The only other line that I would be that excited about that would exist with Nick Suzuki at center and Cole Caulfield on a wing would be the addition of Sean Farrell. I think that has a significant possibility as well, but I would even be more excited if Ryan Leonard was their right wing on that line. Now, the dream draft for me is something to the effect of Will Smith is still available at five. Montreal takes him with the fifth pick. Philadelphia's very open desire to have Josh Anderson on their team and to be reunited with coach John Tortorella actually comes to fruition and Montreal trades Josh Anderson say with maybe throwing Caden Primo just as a little bit extra he goes to Philadelphia Montreal ends up with let's say Philadelphia's first and fourth round pick in the draft so that now nets Montreal the seventh pick overall Montreal flips that along with prospect Jesse Ulanen to Arizona just to move up one spot so that after drafting Will Smith at five Montreal can take Ryan Leonard at six that would be the dream draft to me by far but it doesn't even end there. Now that Las Vegas has won the Stanley Cup, Montreal now has the Florida pick, which turned out to be 31. Contrary to a lot of people's beliefs, that is not a useless pick. That is a pick to be excited about because a pick like that can land you goaltender Michael Crable or Adam Gajin. But Montreal can take Adam with their second round pick at number 37. But that should be Montreal's next two selections. With that 31st pick in the first round, the second round pick, 37th overall, Montreal should take goaltenders right there in those two spots. In the third round, I'd almost go for another goaltender, but Zachary Nearing out of Shattuck St. Mary, I think is just too juicy of a prospect to pass on with the 69th pick overall in the third round. The fourth round, though, I'd go right back to goaltending and take the kid out of Italy. Believe it or not, I'd take him as an international goaltending prospect. He's 6'6". He could be a bit of a project, but at that point, you've got time because you would now have Jakob Dabish. You would now have Michael Rabel. And you now have Adam Gajin all ahead of him, theoretically. And he could just sit there in the background, work on his game, which is already pretty good, but maybe grow into his frame a little bit. I think Montreal would be very, very 
very well taken care of in goaltending at that point for the future and that ridiculous argument instead of acquiring people like Carter Hart or other overpriced players would finally go away and everybody would feel comfortable that Montreal now has their heir apparent to carry price. Traditionally, off-seasons are thought of as, oh, the boring season. Nothing's going to happen. I think this is going to be one of, if not the most interesting off-seasons, either in a long time or ever. I think there is a lot of moves by a lot of teams coming. I still say that after the draft, I don't think all teams are done with administrative changes, let alone player roster changes. I think there's going to be a lot of movement. I think a lot of teams are going to reassess their rosters, directions that they're going. I think teams like Montreal, Winnipeg, even Ottawa with Alex DeBrinket can play major roles in redevelopment, redesigning, or realignment of other teams' rosters and bank a lot of draft capital. I think free agency that opens up on July 1st is going to be nuts. I think there's going to be a lot of highly questionable contracts thrown around, especially with anticipation of, though not this year, but after next year is over with, the salary cap is going to go up apparently close to $10 million, somewhere around eight or nine, somewhere in that area. I think that's going to create a lot of frenzy, but the draft itself, I am really, really interested. There's been a lot of years that people have said, oh my God, this draft is going to have so many trades. There's going to be so much movement. It was really more of a, let's grab people's attention and get them to watch the draft. This year's draft may very well finally have that level of excitement. I think there's a lot of different dynamics playing in this draft that you don't see in a lot of them. On that note, I am your host, Steven Stiles. Thank you for tuning into episode 50, where we covered a lot of different topics from a lot of different perspectives. Have an amazing weekend.